Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we heard that the church was adding to their numbers daily. The church, in response to this growth, ordains deacons, servants of the church, servants of the poor and the outcast. Like Deacon Bill or Deacon Judy, they have taken on special obligations to care for the least. And Stephen, who we hear about in today's um, reading from Acts, is one of those first deacons. Edith Stein is a Christian writer, a saint, and a martyr, killed in Nazi Germany because she was born Jewish, but later converted to Christianity, said that the liturgical calendar teaches us about the Christian faith. She notes that St. Stephen's feast day, the day which we remember his martyrdom, falls on the day after Christmas. So strange, our first martyr is remembered in the midst of a joyous season, reminding us that faith in Jesus does not inoculate us from a life of danger, trouble, and at times evil. The prosperity gospel, which has its roots in a sort of Pentecostalism, but is deeply unfaithful to Pentecostalism, has often claimed that if you just have faith in God, God will protect you. They use um, phrases like we heard in John's gospel, anything you ask of me, I will give to you, and misuse it and twist it. Kenneth Copeland has recently claimed that God has revealed to him that he will live to be 120 years in age because that is the maximum life the Bible predicts for those who are blessed by God. In today's reading from Acts about the stoning or the martyrdom of Stephen, we are told that Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us have been taught to believe that if we are good and we believe in God and we trust in God, then God will reward us, that bad things happen to bad people, and if something bad happens to you, it's because you just didn't believe enough. We often internalize those bad things as punishments from God. And many such preachers say such things doing incredible harm to those whom they are supposed to be the shepherd of. Martin Luther often talked about the right hand of God, the good things that are clearly good things. The birth of a child, a glorious sunset, a miraculous healing. But Luther also talked about the left hand of God, those things that are not as clear things that may never be clear on this side of the grave. Sometimes we are blessed in finding meaning in the things that happen to us that are not things that we would ask for ourselves. That is part of the Christian witness. One of the reasons that doors of the church are often painted as red is to remember that the church is built on the blood of the martyrs, those who were killed for their faith. Spiritus was one of those Sicilian martyrs who refused to accept the definitions Rome gave to terms like lord, king, and emperor. 
On trial for following Jesus, Veritas rejected the auspices of his inquisitor's authority. He said, I do not recognize the empires of this world. Rather, I serve the God whom no man has seen nor can see with these eyes. I have not stolen, and on any purchase I make, I pay the tax. Yet I acknowledge only one Lord, my Lord and my God, who is the emperor of king and king of all the nations. Rome took Sparita's life, but they could not determine the meaning of his death, and that spelled the doom from Rome. God's ability to bring life from death is what makes Christianity a danger to empires and powers and principalities in life that think that they are in control. And this is the uncomfortable truth about a spirit-filled life. Just as the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, we too are often driven to where we do not want to go. Next week, we will celebrate the Feast of the Ascension, this unique Christian belief that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. A belief that we affirm each week as we proclaim the creeds that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Throughout the New Testament, you will find Jesus being described as seated at the right hand of the Father. But take a look in Acts that this is the only place in Scriptures where we are told that Jesus is standing and not sitting at God's right side. We are told this not once, but we are told twice that Jesus is standing. The church has long said that this is a sign and a symbol of Jesus standing with Stephen as Stephen is standing before those who are accusing him of apostasy and heresy. Stephen stands not alone but with Jesus. And this is a truth for us as well that we never stand alone either. In the Gospels, Pilate believed that he alone could determine who lives and who dies. And that is a lie that is from the pit of hell. It is God who determines this. Is it not the proclamation of the Gospel that we who have been baptized into Christ, we too are to stand with Jesus, with those who do not have voices? to proclaim to the powers and principalities of this world, to the empires and Caesars, kings and presidents, despot leaders, that deeper power lies in Jesus' name than in their name. The Wall Street Journal recently reviewed a book called 70 Times 7. It is about the horrific and brutal murder of 78-year-old Ruth Pelkey who was stabbed over 30 times in a home invasion in 1985. Making the crime even more shocking was that the perpetrator of the violence was a 15-year-old girl, who at the time became the youngest person to ever be sentenced to death. Now, the Supreme Court in 2005 banned the death penalty for minors, effectively meaning that Paula Cooper, the woman who married, uh, who, who murdered Ruth, would no longer face death for her brutal acts of violence. In the reading of Acts, we are told that Stephen is not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but that Stephen has what is sometimes called in the tradition a beatific vision, a gift from God that provides a deep insight and contemplation of God's world. 
the 70 times 7 book chronicles such a vision. Cooper's biggest advocate in in, in, in overturning her death penalty turned out to be an unlikely one, the victim's grandson. One night, while working at a steel mill, Gary uh, and Gary and Diana, Bill Pelkey, had a vision of his grandmother crying and believed that she was crying for Paula Cooper. He became convinced that she would not want this girl to be killed in her name. Turning to the Bible for guidance, Pelkey was drawn to passages in the Gospel of Matthew that lent to the title of the name of the book 70 times 7. Remember it. Peter goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. This book is not just about Helen Pelkey's murder, for it starts with Paula Cooper's life, the young girl who murdered Paula, for I mean, murdered Helen. How her mother had tried to kill her in her life. How her father beat her almost on a daily basis. How she had been in and out of foster care homes and the judicial system throughout most of her life. In essence, we learned that there were very few people who were willing to stand by her. The Moravian Church, who the Episcopal Church has a full partnership with, describes their calling to being in the wound. Their calling is to being in the wound. What a vision for Christian vocation and witness, being in the wound. The incarnation, the churchy word that means that God became human in Jesus Christ means that God cares, that God is not indifferent to our suffering, that God came to stand by us, that God came to stand in our wounds. Amen.